0: All right. if you would take your Bible and turn to 1 Timothy 4. Now I want to walk through these things here because it's important for you to grab a hold of before we go into the ways that the uh, the devil will find a way into your thought process. In the old days we used to have a saying and I realize things have changed drastically since I was first a policeman but in the old days uh, we didn't have the the, the tasers and all the other stuff. We had a nightstick or a metal flashlight and um, Basically, you know, with the, the adage was is that if you catch them, you gotta clean them. In other words, you, you can't always depend on somebody to be there to back up your mess and that kind of thing. And so one of the things that you learn to do in defense tactics and all that is if you can control the head of somebody, you can control the body. Being able to get a hold or get a control of, that's the idea that we had last night about the yoke of iron being put upon you. If you can control the neck of somebody, you can control which way the body goes. The devil's very interested in controlling your thought process. You say, why? As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. The engine is the main thing that controls everything you do. Your thoughts reap out habits. Your habits reap direction. Direction reaps out what we call a destination or a final place. And so the the mistake that a lot of Christians make is that all this stuff is just this fleshly desire and it all has to do with things that have to do with different appetites or proclivities that a man is is said to have been born with and those kind of things. But it's much deeper than that. It goes much further than that. As a matter of fact, it's on a spiritual level. Now the Bible says in Galatians chapter number 5, he said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but Against I mean Ephesians 6, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, and so on and so forth. Then in Galatians 5, he says the flesh lusts against the spirit, spirit against the flesh, so that you cannot do the things that you would. In other words, I want to do what's right to do, but somebody overrides my process of thinking. If I yield to that process, they have the ability to do it. Romans chapter 6 teaches this. It's an absolute truth. He says, Neither yield your members unto sin as instruments of unrighteousness. That is written to a saved person. He said, Shall we, that, uh, that, uh, uh, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. Knowing that, uh, that we have been delivered from that, we don't have to do that anymore. That is definitely a, a fill-in there, but you get the concept. And then later in the passage, He says to you, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness for whoever you yield to, his instruments, or you become his instrument. So what he's telling you there is, is that if you yield to the devil, and Galatians 5 is proof of it, anything that you could do before you got saved, you can still do except go to hell. So the concept that you need to grab a hold of is this is the most serious fight in the Christian life. It's not against smoking and drinking and movies and whatever else that you may think, dress codes and haircuts and hemlines and all that. All those things are extensions of uh, a deeper problem, a root problem. You don't attack those kinds of things by saying if we get this fixed, then it straightened out the problem. You got to go to where the root of the problem is. So what I want to try to show you is, is the devil is interested in, cro- in, in controlling your thought process. That's why the most dangerous place in America nowadays is not down at the bar, it's in the pulpit. Because if he can control your way of thinking, he can control an entire nation. A couple of examples. General Mao, Mao Zedong, controlled an entire nation. So did, uh, what's his name that was in Vietnam, I'll think of his name in just a minute here, um, Ho Chi Minh controlled an entire nation by way of the thought process and then got into their thinking and then caused them to go against other people. Many of you may know a little bit about uh, the World War II, one of the great wars that we had at the end of World War I. They didn't put some things in place and so what happens is, is Goebbels comes along as Hitler's Minister of Propaganda and he did more than you might think. What he did was he began to change before he came in with the military backing and before the night of the long knives and the brown shirts and all that, what he began to do is change how people thought about a group of other individuals. And what he began to do is, is not just put out movies and stuff, but he made it to be that the Jewish people had an infectious disease and that if you got around those people that you would get that infection. Those people would kill you, they would infect your business, they would infect your family, they would harm you, and what he did was he degraded those people to the point that they became equal to or synonymous with rats and rodents. That's long before he started putting them into areas where he would keep, uh, get them together and, and they were putting them there in certain housing and quarantines and things like that and wall those places up. You know why he did? Because we're protecting under the guise of protecting the German people from this rabid infectious disease called the Jews. It wasn't just because they were mentally retarded and all that. And by the way, he marked also with those people, the people that were mentally defective, people that had physical deformities, people of different skin colors, and people that were homosexuals on both sides. He didn't tolerate any of that. So he walled them off. You say, why? We're protecting people from the spread of an infection. And when he began to do that, and he began to put up those housing projects and stuff, people didn't think anything of it. It's like, well, yeah, you know what you should do? Those people are going to kill us. We need to get rid of them. We need to put them away. And then it wasn't long before they said, well, you know what we need to do is we need to load them up on a train. And many of you may or may not know this, but Auschwitz happened to be the beginning of a a large city. And in that city was a pharmaceutical company, and the pharmaceutical company was called Auschwitz. It was a great testing facility where they tested different kind of pharmaceuticals and stuff and actually paid people to do it. And so they wound up turning that into a concentration camp and the trains ran right by the city and the smoke going up the stacks and falling on the people, that greasy, smelly, like when somebody burned stuff was coming down and, you know, they would say it was snowing people over there. That literally is in the town right there. It's not happening miles and miles away like out in Buchenwald or Bucharest or whatever. I mean, way out there. No, it's right. It's literally on the outskirts skirts of the town there, and everybody knew what was going on, but we're eradicating disease. Now the question would be, and what, what caused the people to get upset was, how can somebody do that? Well, after a period of time of thinking a certain way, it's like it made sense. Like, well, you know, we should kill. They're not people. They're disease-ridden vermin. And in order to protect my children and protect my family and protect society, we have to do the hard thing and we have to, like we eradicate a rabbit animal, a raccoon or a dog, we've got to eliminate these people so there was no public outcry because it was for the good of humanity. And of course many people don't know this, but there were 9 million Jews that were killed under the same guise by who was your ally at the time, and that was Stalin. How does that happen? That happened because of the mind being changed. I use that as an illustration, as an entrance way into telling you that the devil is not interested so much in just enticing you with fleshly things as much as he's interested in controlling you long term in how you think. Are you in First Timothy chapter number four? 1 Timothy chapter number 4, the passage that you'll read there says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, notice capitalized, so it's personified, talking specifically about the Spirit, not His work, like in Romans 8. The Bible says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Pause for just a minute. Some that depart from the faith, these are saved people. Romans 6, I just gave it to you. They gave heed to seducing spirits. Now, you're all adults here with a few children, and they're, old, they're not old enough to understand where I'm headed. To seduce is to simply entice with a pleasantry that the person's interested in. Right. It's not always sexual in nature. For instance, the devil knows better than to try to tempt me with Coors beer or Budweiser. Has no effect on me at all. Put a dish of ice cream in front of me, and we might have trouble. I'm just saying. And then especially if you put like some bananas and walnuts and some magic shell and that kind of thing, now we're getting some real, that's serious temptation for me. You're thinking, man, I mean, you know, that's not really bad. Well, I mean a little bit of that goes a long way and it won't be long before that can take me to the ground the same way the alcohol will. But the devil knows exactly what entices you. You say, how? He watches you. He watches you. Your temptation won't be my temptation. There may be some things that we have generally in common, but the devil is very, very precise at making sure that when he seduces you, it's something you like. A lot of times he'll use anger or wrath or strife or, or bitterness. Paul says in, in, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, he said, I wanted to talk to you as grown-ups and give you some meat, but you're carnal, is there not yet? You know what the passage is? Strife, envy, division, or debate, Right? He says, you're carnal. What does the devil do? He uses those things to disturb you. So to understand the seduction there is, is people immediately go to a David Bathsheba thing. No, that might be it, but most likely it's something entirely different. Then notice he says in verse number 3, what does he do? How does he use seducing spirits? What are the doctrines of devils? Speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared, we're going to get to that tomorrow, with a hot iron. Now what he says to you, before you get to forbidding to marry and abstaining from me, that's not the lie and the hypocrisy. The lies and the hypocrisy are on top of those things. It's not just the Roman Catholic Church. This is written to believers to say, to give you a warning that in the last days, and I believe we're there, if you're in the last days, you have to pay attention to the liar that comes your way. Remember we're talking about being rooted and grounded in truth and those things. He comes to you and he lies to you, and what he'll do is, is in your imagination, he'll justify you doing something like eating the fruit that God's already told you, "Uh uh-uh, you can't eat that fruit. Do not eat it. You're going to die. Well, yea, if God said, and then we start down that particular path. Uh, Take your Bible, if you will, please, and come over to uh, let's make it uh, Matthew chapter 13 before we go to the other one. Matthew chapter 13. Many people think because I'm in church that I'm I'm safe. You ever wonder why sometimes you come to church and the preacher preaches and are you listening to it on a tape or a CD or something? And then it's not long before you can forget You forget it? That ever happened to you? You ever wonder, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget it. Sometimes I'll get a thought in the middle of the night and I'm like, ain't no way I'll ever forget that. I wake up the next morning and I don't even remember that I had the thought. <laughs> you know? And then I'm you know, halfway through the day and I'm like, I had a thought last night. What was that thought? I don't know, I I can't remember those things. Well, oftentimes what happens is, ladies and gentlemen, is because we don't take the time to jot those things down, they escape us, but there's more to it than that. It's not just because you got half-timers or dementia. Notice what he says, Matthew chapter number 13, verse number 18. Hear ye the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he that received the seed by the wayside. You know what he said? He said you received it because you were mulling it around, you were rolling it around, you didn't retain it. You just kind of let it go. I'm not really sure about it. You didn't act on it. It effectually only works in those that believe. The Bible says the wicked one comes in there and snatches it away. How does he do it? He replaces that thought with another thought. He replaces that with, yea, hath God said. Look in Mark, if you will, please. Mark chapter number 4. Now, if, if you don't think, I mean, I guess what I'm trying to convince you of is that the devil is more interested in preaching than you are. He's so interested in it that he will go out of his way to remove it from your mind. Now, think about the value of that. If the devil is interested in all the things he could steal from you, including your physical life, why is he so interested? And the Lord says in three of the four Gospels, Why does he say in three of the four Gospels that he's mentioning to you the devil coming in and taking the word away from you if the word is not the most important thing in your life? Because the devil knows if he can control that, keep you from getting the right thing and replace it with the wrong thing, he can control eternity for you and your destination. He can't take your soul, but he can rob you blind of the judgment seat of Christ. All right? right. If if it's not true, why is he so interested in it? And why does the Lord make such an effort about it? Uh, Mark chapter number 4. Pick it up down there. This again is a parable of the, of the sower and so on and so forth. Verse 14, The sower soweth the word, and these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh when? As soon as they hear it. And does what? Taketh away the word that was sown in their heart. Why? Before that word can get root, before it can take hold, before it can grab the ground, he comes right in there right off the bat. You ever been sitting there and thinking, man, that was, that's pretty good. And then you dismiss it and you never remember it again. You say, what happened? The devil came in and snatched it away from you. That's right. You say, why? Because it's valuable. The most valuable thing that you have in your lap is in your lap right now. Look at uh, Luke chapter number 8. Luke chapter number 8. I'm showing you the way the devil works. If it pleases God by the foolishness of preaching, the devil takes a recognition to preaching. Are you preachers that make a good sermon for you to preach it? The devil's interested. Why aren't you? People say, what does the devil fear? A prayer? No, he don't feel your prayers. It doesn't bother him at all. You know what the devil's afraid of? Scripture. You know how I know? Jesus doesn't immediately go down and start praying and, Father, deliver me from this guy and, Father, get this guy off my back and, Father, do this. You know what he says? It's written, it's written, it's written. If you know what's written, you can cut off the devil before he can even get started. If you don't know what's written, I hate to tell you, you can't do it in your own strength. Some of you are very disciplined. You know how to push away from the table. Uh, You know how to exercise. You know how to discipline yourself and suck it up when you've only had a couple hours of sleep and you know how to make yourself get up and go to work and do the tough things that have to be done. I understand all that stuff, but when it comes to fighting the devil, you can't fight him on your own. You can't do it in your own strength. There's no way. You can't have, You've got to have God to help you. And you can't do it without the greatest weapon you have, and that's the sword of the Spirit. It's the book. That's why he's interested in it. He wants to take it away from you. That's why all this uh, 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 garbage coming out of the pulpit now with no Scripture at all, no Bible at all, no biblical basis at all, they just had a funeral for that uh, kid who uh, got 13 years old. She got killed by uh, raped and killed by a 14-year-old boy. Junior high school kids. Great, great, really, really great kids out there at midnight. And he winds up raping her and stabs her in the head with a knife and kills her and then covers her body up and goes home, writes about it on social media. Fine fella, real fine fella. They should take him out and put him down like a dog. But, it, but at any rate, that's just my personal opinion. That's what I believe it ought to happen to him. They go to have her funeral. You know what they have at her funeral? Rock and roll music. Rappers. Smoke. Electric guitars. The biggest hodgepodge of foolishness had a big, huge gargantuan 8,000 member church member down there and they got her cassock up there and boom, 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 boom all that kind of stuff no mention of Jesus Christ preachers up there younger than I am and tight skinny jeans and t-shirts and stuff like that at a time where it ought to be sober and somber and they're talking about what a great girl she was and how she loved life and how wonderful it was no mention of Jesus Christ no mention of heaven no mention of hell no mention of anything eternity but doing it right there in the church that's a tragedy. Thirteen-year-old girl's dead and you're having a rock and roll show. You ought to be horsewhipped. Yep. You say, what? They call that, you know, they had the whole school turn out and what a terrible tragedy. Man, what a chance. I mean, they got people all over the creation watching that thing because it was such a tragedy. Man, what a chance to get the gospel out. Man, what a chance to talk about the blessed hope and the glorious appearing. But no, uh-uh. put on a show, man. Big entertainment deal. You say, what are that seducing spirit? Grab the word. Get it out. Replace it with something else. Right. We start measuring whether or not God's in something by how many number, by the number of people that are there. Jesus must have been the biggest flop in the ministry of anybody ever been. You say, why? He only had 12 followers and one was a devil. Right. He finishes three and a half years of ministry. The Bible said he was seen of above 500. <laughs> what kind of a ministry is that? Well, the tallies aren't in yet. I'm 2,021 years past that, and I'm still following him. I say he's a pretty good preacher. But if you look at it in time, you don't look like much. Are you with me in the book of Luke there? Luke chapter number 8, just driving home the point. Verse number 11 again, the parable is this The seed is the word of God. The seed, the seed, the seed. Who's interested in the bird seed? Those by the wayside are they that hear. Good, I got out of my understanding. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Just like that. Snatches it out. Alright, take your Bible now and come, if you will, please over to First um, John 4. It be a good one. Then we'll go over there to Ephesians. First John 4. I, I hope this is shaking you up a little bit. I hope you have to go home and kind of sleep with the lights on. I don't like dealing with ghoulie monsters and I'm not giving any praise to the devil, but I am trying my best to unmask him. I'm trying to tell him that he's got you fooled if you think all he is is just on pornographic websites, rock and roll music, and cigarettes and liquor. If you think he's only in the red light district and down at the bars and you're perfectly fine because you don't hang out there, you think you're completely good. They ain't in danger down there. He's already got them. He ain't after them. He's after you. You say, why? Aren't you the ones listening to the Word? Those people aren't listening to the Word. It's the people that are listening he's trying to get. I'll show you that in just a minute. 1 John 4, verse number 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit. spirit. You mean spirits can talk to me? Yep. yep. You mean they can communicate with me? Yep. That's what he said. Right. Many will give heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, Right? So yeah, spirits can talk to you. Spirits can talk to Christians. You're not shielded from that. But he says, try the spirits, whether they are of God, because there are many false prophets gone out in the world. It's not just a matter of testing the preachers. You know what he said? He said, try the spirits. Where would that thought come from? We'll get into this a little bit later in the week. Take your Bible, come to Ephesians 4. But one of the things that you have to remember or you have to consider is, is that the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, He said, uh, in order for me to be able to, to pull down the every thought that exalts except, uh, itself against the throne of God, means my thoughts are saying my thoughts are high above His thought. exalt yourself against the throne of God. That's toxic influences, that's toxic thinking, that's toxic friends, that's people that are influencing your way of thinking against God's way of thinking. You know what he says? He said, you better bring that into captivity, and you better bury that thing down here and put it in subjection. Oh, (laughs) it's a terrible thing. He tells you how to fix it, but you probably won't like the prescription. He said, you do it by the word of God. You have to replace the bad thought with the right thought. Well, the only way I know is the right thought is replace it with truth. I can't replace it with relative truth. You with me so far? All right. now look in Ephesians chapter number 4. This will give you some things. This is a whole passage here. You can mark your Bible if you want to. That tells you some things about where the devil finds place. 2 Corinthians chapter number 2, don't turn there. But he says, um, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. You know what the context of the passage is? A lack of forgiveness of one another. Or a lack of forgiveness of yourself the devil's got a device. He can get in there and control you. And you get to doing something for the Lord and the devil reminds you of something you did a bajillion years ago. Some braying donkey will walk up to you you knew in high school. Oh, I remember when you saw... Just own it. Yeah, and I'm sorry I was a bad illustration or a bad example. I either wasn't saved or I was saved and backslidden. But that's not who I am now, and I'm sorry. That's all you remember about me. But hang around with me now. Oh, I love the Lord Jesus Christ, and I go to church, read my Bible, I'm married, i got a couple of kids, and I'm trying to outlive my past. i appreciate if you'd help me out with that. I mean, shut them down. You say, what is that? It's not them, it's the devil trying to say, hold on now. Whose chain are you wearing? I'm going to yank you back in. Now watch these things. Watch the personality traits that show up here. We're in Ephesians chapter number 4. Notice what he says in verse number 21. Um, yeah, no, 22. That you put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, the, the, old, the, the, the attributes of the old man, the things that used to be, the things that are listed in Ephesians, uh, uh, over there in Ephesians 2, and the things that are listed in Galatians 5. Put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt, How is he corrupt? According to deceitful lust, You know why you did all of those things? Because your mind was corrupted. And that's what corrupted your actions. Now watch. And be renewed in the spirit of your... There it is. In context. Your mind was whacked out back then. You were lost. You didn't have the ability to think like the new man. The old man thinks like uh, evolution. The old man thinks like Freud. Freud. What a, what a what a what a joke freud Sigmund freud is the basis him and jung for the majority of psychology that's written today and he talks about being in touch with yourself and everything having an oral complex and this and that and the other do you know that man never got victory over cigars and he got treated four different times and four different surgeries for jaw cancer did you know that do you read that or does that he never was able to do that you know what he said he's going to be the one to help you and help your kids and teach you how to get in touch with the relative truths and that kind of thing you know what he said to the doctor he made a pack with him, he said, when I get to the point that I can't do anything, would you let me ride the heroin out of here? Kill me. Let me ride the dope out of here? That's one of the bastions of what people base their foundation of human psychology on. Well, what a waste, man. You can't even get victory over a cigar. Napoleon. Napoleon goes out there, you know, and he says, I, you know, I'm the one that creates circumstances and talking about the Battle of Waterloo and all that kind of stuff. And one of his uh, field marshals comes up to him and he says, hey, Napoleon, Napoleon, or boss, King General, whatever it is, he says, you know, under the circumstances, Napoleon, you know, I create circumstances. You gonna do it in your own power, are you, Napoleon? You gonna fix it, are you, Napoleon? He lost his shirt, man. He wound up in exile. He got addicted to snuff while he was on exile. You know, old pin, cheek, and gum. Rotted his jaw out. Yeah. Died over there in exile. You say, why? I got it. I can handle it. I got it. You're deceived. You're a fool. Now let me show you a couple things here. That's just a couple of illustrations. Verse number 22. Put off concerning the former conversation the old man, which is uh, corrupt according to the deceitful lust. His mind's messed up. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which is after God created. Do you you see the correlation? The way you put on the new man is you've got to change your mind. Here's the passage, Romans 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, How, Lord? Be transformed. By the renewing of your actions. Your company you keep. No. By the renewing of your mind, that you may know that which is good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. It's the mind. The mind's the engine. Lot of us got some engine trouble. Alright, then he says here, he says, by the renewing of your mind, uh, by the renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you can put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness, put away lying, Mark it down. The devil is a liar. I've already showed you that. And he's the father of lies. Now watch what happens. When you lie, you open up a gate, a door, a window. You're allowing him access. If the Lord is all truth, lies are from the devil. You're now, instead of using truth, you're using a lie. So, number one, you got to watch out for lies. Number two, be angry and sin not. Anger. You say, I can be angry. He says, it's okay to be angry. The Lord got angry and turned over the tables. There wasn't any sin in it. There's a difference in righteous indignation. But you can't justify the anger that's completely out of trouble. That thing's like a smoldering rag in the corner, and eventually, you know what that anger's going to do? It's going to explode. That's where you get the word uh, 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 clamor. You ever notice when people get angry, and they can't make their point, and then they begin to raise their voice, And then they get a little bit of a deeper tone, and then they grit their teeth, and then they're just letting you know that they're angry. That's claymore. That's clamor. That's where you get claymore mind. And you know what clamor goes into? Malice. Now I'm intentionally trying to hurt you. Ladies, I'll tell you something. Sometimes you have a tendency to talk, and your husband's not getting talk, or you interrupt him, and... So the next thing you know, when you start seeing him elevate his voice, it's a key, he's going to let you know, however loud you get, I'm going to get louder. I didn't say it was right, but I said that'll be his natural tendency. It's like a use of force matrix without the force. It's using verbal command. But when people get angry, you know what happens to them? Angry or scared, they get auditory exclusion. And sir, the louder you yell, the less she hears. She's already turned off. That's why she's, you're not getting through. You better find another avenue. Try roses. They work sometimes. <laughs> Put away lying, he said. Speak every man the truth of his neighbor, your members of one another. Be angry, sin not. Let not the sun go down upon her. Well, look at there. Neither give place. How about that? All right, look at this. Verse number 28. Let him that stole steal no more. What will do when you take something that doesn't belong to you? Just going to touch it real quick. Like somebody else's reputation, when you take their personal information and pass it on to other people, you're stealing something you were entrusted with and handing it out to somebody else. Keep on coming down. There's a, a laziness is in there, working with your own hands, but doing the right things with your own hands. That's found in verse number twenty-eight. And then he says this, and this is a tough one. Verse 29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the edifying that might administer grace to the hearers. You say what? You've got to watch how you talk. You've got to watch what you say. You've got to watch the motive behind why you're saying it. Let me hurry. And grieve not. Well, we don't want to do that. The Holy Spirit, where you're uh, sealed to the day of redemption, He's going to tell you how not to grieve Him. He didn't stop the verse there. Do you see what's in the next verse? Okay, there's you a good stepping stone for the devil. There's a root cause. He says bitterness, and then he says wrath, and then he says anger, and then he says clamor, and then he says malice. It's a stepping stone. started with bitterness, and then it begins to be wrathful, and then the rags catch on fire. And they're starting to burn, and then out comes the clamor, the loudness, and then malice. I'm going to get them. That's all in giving place to the devil. It's right there in Ephesians chapter 4. Those are things that are important for you to know. You say, why? Because they're the devil's playground, the area where the devil likes to get into it. All right, quickly, 2 Corinthians chapter number 11, about 10 minutes or so, and we'll break for lunch or if you didn't eat too many donuts. Second Corinthians 11. The Lord created donuts to be eaten. I'm glad some of you did that. Now, this is something that's very little known and very little preached about because most of the time us independent Baptist preachers spend all of our time talking about Joel Osteen and Tammy Faye Baker and Joyce Myers, whatever that is. But those aren't the ones you have to worry about. Those aren't the ones you have to watch. Those, those aren't the ones you listen to. But the devil will use preachers. You know what he'll use? Ministers of righteousness. They look good. They act right. They even got a King James Bible. They just wrongly divide. Or they just put burdens on you that are too heavy to be born. Or they're pharisaical. Look in 2 Corinthians chapter number 11. Look down at verse number 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of life. Therefore it is no great thing if his, Satan's ministers, also be transformed as ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their work. But you know what you better do? You better try the Spirit. Just because a guy stands up and says he believes the King James Bible, you better make sure he's not using the King James Bible to get you to follow him, like the pastoral popery, I call it. Some they call it authority. I call it popery. God doesn't give any preacher the right to rule or control your personal or private life. He's supposed to preach, and then you're supposed to be left with the decision. Doesn't the Lord do that? Isn't He the main shepherd, right? Okay, well then I'm supposed to follow His lead. You know what He does with me? He tells me what to do and then leaves the choice up to me to do it. He didn't come stick His nose in my business. I have to tell you this, in my own personal life, my own personal testimony, I'm ashamed to say this, but I've had to be a recipient more of His mercy, grace, and long-suffering more than I've had the whipping machine. I've avoided a lot of whippings I deserved. You say, why? God's been good to me. I haven't always done what He told me to do when He told me to do it the way He told me to do it. I might get the first two part, but then do it my way. You know, maybe listen to a little too much Bing Crosby or something. And then I said, well, I'll do it, but I'm going to do it my way. That's what God saw in trouble. Saul got in trouble in First Samuel chapter number 15, but the whole story there is is that well the preacher's not here and he's running late and knock him king and I know how to do it. I've watched him do it a hundred times, and I'm just going to go ahead and do the thing. And so when he walks in there, the preacher says to him, he says, "Hey, did you do what the Lord said to do? I mean, I know she started the church service without me, and I guess that's all right, uh, but let me just ask you, the most important thing here is, did you obey the Lord? Did you do what you're supposed to do? He said, "Oh yeah preacher, yeah, I mean right down to the letter. He said, "Well, if that's true, what's this lowing of the bleeding of the sheep and lowing of the oxen in my ear?" Well, about that, you know, I mean, it just didn't make sense to me. I figured I'd do it my way. You know, the people said, and they had a good point, you know, you've got to give the people every now. You're going to be a great leader. You've got to give the people their way sometimes. And, and the people said, you know, these is good breeding stock, and this is the best of the best, and we haven't seen animals like this before, and, man, we can make some great hybrids out of them and stuff. Now, we believe in the sacrifice, but give them the blind and the lame and the sickly and all of those ones that nobody else wants anyway, but, I mean, let's keep the best back for ourselves, and he said, oh, okay, all right, all right. Well, let me ask you this. How about when it comes to Agag? You did kill Agag. Well, see, you know, I'm a king, and he's a king, and I know the pressure he's under, and his people didn't fight for him, and I can't imagine how it was, and it was, you know, I just sort of felt sorry for him because I've been where he's at, and you, you killed him, right? No, but I got him on a chain. He said, man, you have flat messed up. What do you mean I messed up? I've obeyed the commandment of the Lord. No, you didn't. You put your spin on it. And he said, To obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken unto the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as idolatry. Okay. Okay. All right. All right, preacher. Okay. All right. You're right. It's Aiken syndrome. You got me. Uh, uh, you caught me. But can we just keep this between me and you? You know, like parishioner to pope and parishioner to the father and parishioner to the confessional booth. And can you can you can you just don't just don't tell the people. Saul, you've committed a public sin. You've overstepped into the office of the priest. You've lied about obeying the commandment of the Lord. Now you're making it look like God's gonna justify what you did and reward you for doing wrong, nothing doing. And he goes, and I know Saul's thinking he's fixing to go announce it to the people. And he starts out and Saul reaches out and grabs him and grabs him hard. I mean, I mean, I mean teeth gritted, and grabs him hard enough to rip his coat. Samuel turns around and he says, The Lord hath rent the kingdom from thee this day. That's what I'm talking about. Where was the influence? The influence was another spirit. It's all through your Old Testament. The Lord's getting ready to have a big battle and so on and so forth is going on there and he's trying to wind up getting uh, the, the Ahab and the other fellows out of there. And the Lord said, hmm, he's having a council. He's talking. He said, I wonder who we might uh, do, how we would go about this thing. And a spirit comes up there and he says, I know what I can do. And the Lord says, okay, go ahead. You have the floor. He said, well, I'm ad-libbing a little bit. He said, uh, here's what I would do. He said, I'll go down there and I'll be a lying spirit in the mouth of all the prophets. Do you know how many there were? 400 of them. One spirit made all 400 lie. One preacher told the truth. They smacked him and put him in jail. And he said, If what I said don't come true by tonight, my name, ain't... anyway, you know how that goes. And they put him in jail, and 400, they all were in agreement. You say, What? It was a lying spirit. You get to reading over in the Old Testament, you know what you find? The Lord said, should these people be inquiring of me at all? Should I even be inquiring of these people? Who in the cat hair do they think they are to even be talking to me? I will reward every man according to the idols in his heart. Good night, Lord. That seems awfully drastic. No, I'm not here to play games. They don't listen to me. They want to listen to the idols. I'll give them whatever the idols say. And idol worship's wrong. And they get damned because of it. Does that shake you up at all? Does that mean I can be deceived? Yeah. All of us can. You think you're smarter than the devil? With all due respect, I don't mean to be a smart... You're a fool. You see, do you ever go toe-to-toe with the devil? Uh-uh. I run to Jesus. I don't... Greater as He's in me than He's in the world. That's a statement of fact. That's all that is. That's just a fact. That doesn't give you any more power. doesn't make you great. He said, what do you do? Tell Jesus. Jesus, He's picking on me. Jesus, you talk to Him. I don't talk to Him. I don't talk to Him. That's just me. You do what you want to do. The reason I do that is it's biblically based. When the Lord sent down Michael to bring back the body of Moses, uh, he comes down there and the Satan says, hey, you can't dig him up. He had not been no atonement or nothing like that. That body still belongs to me. And he doesn't get into it. I'm down here on the Lord's business. The Lord told me to do this. And I don't know who you think you are, but you're not going to tell my Lord what to do and all that kind of... You know what he says? He says, the Lord rebuked the old Satan. Keeps digging. You go over there to the book of Zechariah, and the Lord's over there, and He's the advocate over here, and Joshua's standing there getting ready to go in trial, and the devil comes up there, and here's the Lord. This is before Calvary, and He's standing over here, and He's making an accusation, and you know what He says? This is the Lord talking. He says to Satan, The Lord, God the Father, rebuked the old Satan. And you're going to rebuke Him? I'll stand on the devil's tail and put a squirt gun of gasoline in his eye. You're a fool. He's got you fooled to think you you can't even whoop one of his little imps. You say, what do you do? Plead the blood and get away from it. Amen. They're smarter than you. Amen. They've been studying man for over 6,000 years. You ain't got a prayer. Just a couple more minutes here. Looking, uh, are you, I already gave you the one in 2 Corinthians. I already gave you that one, the one about his teachers. Alright, that's important for you to get. Alright, look in Acts chapter number 5. I know we went there a while ago, but I never got around to it. Somebody gave me one of those one time, by the way. It was a joke, whatever, because we used to say in the South all the time, you know, get around to it. I, when I get around to it, when I get around to it, when I get around to it. So somebody, I said, get around to it. And he came up and handed me a wooden nickel thing, and it had a round to it. And there he says, now you have a round to it. <laughs> it's funny to me. I can hear my wife in the background, babe, if you have to explain the joke, it's not funny. But honey, they laugh, they have pity for you. Verse number one, but a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession, kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it and bought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Peter said, Ananias, why hath the man in church? This is after Calvary. It's a saved man. Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and keep back part of the price of the land? Now you know, and you've heard all the teaching and and so on and so forth that are there together, but you need to understand that it's not that he could give whatever he wanted to, it's that he said he gave it all when he didn't. And he said, why did Satan make you lie to the Holy Ghost? you see there's a battle going on and all you are is a pawn you see what just happened there Ananias was used as a pawn for the devil so one of the things you want to watch out for is that come to Mark chapter number 3 we won't get through all of this but maybe you'll get through a couple of them we'll hit it tomorrow now I'm going to show you some avenues now that you know he'll use righteous teachers and he'll use false doctrine and he'll even do it in church Satan filled his heart in church Satan comes in because you hear the word. Where do you usually hear the word? Usually, it's in church, isn't it? I have a message I've never been able to preach it, but the day Satan went to church, (laughs) you say, when was that? Every time you gather, I remember the story that Brother Lynch used to tell all the time. It's a great indicator. I use it when I teach preaching and or teach a preaching class to the other preachers. And he said, you know, there was an old preacher, he's down there in the holler in the mountains in the Bible Belt, and he got up one morning, and he didn't fix the wagon wheel he was supposed to fix the night before, and his wife saying, if you'd have listened to me, we'd have been on time, and so on and so forth, and he's out there, and he's got his son to go to meet and clothes on, so he takes his shirt off, he's got on his long handles and his pants there, and he's working on the wagon, and he finally gets the wheel back in place, and they get hitched up, and they start down across the top of the mountain, and down into the holler, and they get about 150, 200 yards away from the church, and I mean the church is a alive it is i mean having a fit boy people shouting and hollering and running around the church and so on and so forth and a preacher said my goodness man a revival done broke out maybe it's a good thing i was gone well if you would have been on time you'd have been in on it you know she said he says okay well that's fine you know get thee behind me satan no anyway (laughs) and and so he pulls down there and he pulls his wagons up and throws the reins up over the hitching post there and he walks in the back door of the church and he comes in the back door And standing in the pulpit, sure as I'm standing here, is Lucifer himself. And I mean, he has got the people going. And the preacher stops everything that's going on and he says, I know you. I know you. I know who you are and I know what it is you're up to. And you're speaking all this truth and getting all these people stirred up and getting all this and that and the other and he tries to call him out and the devil leans over the pulpit with those long fingernail ridden fingers and he says even the devil can preach truth without unction. That's right. The illustration is the devil was in the pulpit and the people were thinking, boy, we're really having a surface and it was the devil leading the church service. Don't you make any mistake about it. There's opposition right now between my mouth and your ears. Trying to put static on the line. One of the things that we were big about, because when we first started, years this is a bajillion years ago, back when dinosaurs roamed the Earth, we had UHF radios. And if you got into a bad situation there and you had to call in one of the special teams or whatever, uh, one of the things that would occur on a regular basis is, is somebody with a ham radio set or a real powerful CV <coughs> would come in and they would walk on the top of that, you know, that, that frequency. And they'd be on your frequency when you're trying to talk to your people that are out there, you know, hostage situation, whatever it might be. And there would be static on the line and other, co- other people coming in and people couldn't understand, did he say this, did he say this, did he say that? I wasn't sure what he said. And so once we got to, we went from, I guess it was very high to ultra high or one or the other, whichever one's the highest. And we were able to separate out and have our own channel. You say, why? Because in battle, the first thing to go is communication. Right. Right. So it's check and double check your comms and every time we'd be through, we'd throw the batteries away and get a new set of batteries. You say, why? Because it's kind of a bad deal when you got up there and you think he says green light and he meant red light and the next thing you know, somebody's gone because the communication was bad. Right. Whenever you're in battle, the first thing to go is the calm lines. You get interrupted, don't you? Yeah. Can't quite hear what God's saying. Too much static on the line. You're trying to listen to preaching and your wife's worried about the roast cooking because the preacher went past 1230. Or, the, you know, the kids have got a diaper rash. She ain't been no more listening than the billy goat. Or you're trying to get something, sister, and he sees you starting to listen to what the Lord is saying to you, and he's worried about how it's going to affect him, and you're afraid you're going to tell him to come back to church that night. And so all of a sudden, he's like, you know, we need to go. I've got to get the oil changed this afternoon, and we get done with that. I've got to get something to eat. And we got so much stuff to do and all that, just break it just like that. I've seen invitation time. I've seen it happen time and time and time again. I'm just trying to tell you the devil goes to church when you do. I've seen time and time again where God's dealing with somebody and God's trying to help them and I've seen them get ready to start toward a thing and somebody just stand up literally right in front of them. They're not even looking. I'm not even paying attention. just kind of, And I've seen them just kind of back off. Or I've seen them start talking to them in the middle of an invitation. Or they get up in an invitation and they zip up their purse and they put on their coat, you know. And, They're looking at the, you know, the Baptist salute, and they're looking at their watch and they're, you know, they got ants in their pants and all that kind of. they slept the whole service and now they're up, they're awake, they're ready to get going, and here's somebody God dealing with them, and they're looking down there and they're thinking, Man, I can't go down there. And I'm telling you, as sure as I'm standing, it's another spirit that's trying to block them, and the Holy Spirit's going, Come on. Come on. Several years ago, when I was up in Tennessee, my dad was the pastor there, There there's a fellow sitting behind us. I didn't know him from Adam's house cat came time for invitation and stuff like that my dad was given an invitation and I started talking to my friend and stuff like that and he ran the invitation out for a little bit there and finally came to the end of the invitation and two or three people came rededication or something or another I don't remember and that kind of a deal my dad's countenance had changed tremendously we got in the car and he wasn't very jovial I could always tell gonna be a bad lunch somebody you know and I knew I was talking, so I thought it was me. So I got the typical when we get home. He said, I'll meet you in your room, bud. I said, yes, sir. So i walked walk back there, and he's got the razor strap and stuff like that, and he pitched it over on the bed. And he said, son, I'm not going to whip you. But he said, I want to tell you a story. He said, there was a man sitting behind you today. And he said, I've been going by his place of business and I've been talking to him and I've been trying my best to get him to come to church just so he could learn about the Lord for a very long time now and he came to church today. And he said, it's his fault that he didn't make the move. But he said, the Lord was dealing with him. And he said, that man's been on my heart and I've been praying for that man. And he said, just what if your conversation during the invitation was just enough of a distraction to keep him from going on down there. Well, when I got older, I thought, you know, that's a big thing to put on a young man. You think, man, that's kind of rough, you know. <laughs> but it's true. You say, why? The devil took the Word right out of his heart, lest he should hear it and believe it. Right. And I was an instrument. You say, Why? He's in here right now. You say, why? I don't care if the world's interested or not. People talk about the world being interested or not. I care about the world. The devil's interested enough to try to keep it from you individually. You think you're not important? The devil's paying attention to you right now. He wants to control your thinking right now. You took time off from work and took time away from the family and took time away from things that matter and are important to you. And you come down here and sit for a couple hours and endure like you're in the tribulation and stuff. And the devil's like, I don't care if they don't care. I care. And they'll jump in there and come time for you to think, I need to ponder this stuff and think about it. And the devil will come in, ah, yeah, as God said, preaching. Well, if it's so important, why are all the other people that were here last night not here this morning? It'll come in on you. All the stuff you got to do. Last one here, I'll just give you this real quick just to lay it out. Mark chapter number 3. Now, you start dealing with some things here in Mark chapter number 3, you're talking about impurities. And these impurities have to do with the Lord of the flies. He's called Beelzebub. Now these are things that you might be familiar with. And just read it when you get home. That is verse number 22 to 30. And they say uh, that he that is a blasphemy against the Lord, Holy Ghost, in verse number 29, hath never forgiveness, but is in danger of eternal damnation, because he said he hath an unclean spirit. That unclean spirit is the Lord of the flies. That's Beelzebub. That means moral impurity is the playground of the devil. You're living in a day and time right now, where I've said it for years now, but the next step off is going to be is that you've gone from, uh, from just being same-sex marriages to now people don't know if they're male or female, and your next step will, will definitely be, it'll be back to the days of Molech, your next step will be where you were born to love uh, uh, pedophilia. Pedophilia is so wicked it's not even put in the Bible. It is the destruction of innocence. But you keep looking into that and you know what you get to thinking? It's the next progressive step. It's far and beyond bestiality. You're way past that. Bestiality is what leads to same sex stuff. Your next step is to destroy the only innocent thing left on the earth. That's take innocent children. You're already taking their lives. What's the problem with taking their living lives? What's wrong with ruining a child for the rest of his life? We used to call them, not in their presence, we used to call them the walking dead. I'd investigate that stuff for five years. You, you can't, I wouldn't even speak of the horrible things that went on there, the damage it does forever. They never get over. That's your next step. You say, what is that? The moral impurity is not just smoking, drinking little slang jokes, little sly things here and there, a little bit of skin on the show and things. Oh no. No, 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 no. Uh Uh-uh. No. I'm talking about the cesspool of filth. That becomes common. People take a bath in that. You know what they think? I'm clean. Waller around in the mud and come out. I'm clean. I took a bath. Man, you know what you're bathing in right now? Ain't no big deal. I was born this way. God made me that way. The object of my love is a child. Now you mark my words. If I live here long at all and the Lord prolongs His coming, you mark my words. You will see a bill come across Congress. And it'll say, let's legalize this because people aren't responsible for that. It would shock you if you knew how many people that are in the upper echelon practice that on a regular basis and think nothing of it. You say, why? It's the epitome of the kick. Can I throw something at you? You know why affairs are so interesting? Because you think marriage is an affair. A marriage is not an affair. An affair is clandestine. And it's secretive, and slipping around, and it adds incitement to being. What if I get caught? And I gotta keep a secret, and I gotta have clandestine ways of communicating. And then you get married. Hey, how are you, Fine. How are you? You sleep in flannel all the time. Yeah, nice to see you. Curlers in your hair, great. It's nice. You look at you. look like a pot-bellied pig, old man. When's the last time you saw your toe? You didn't look like that when I married you. You know. Well, it's paid for, baby. (laughs) What happened to the spice in our marriage? You got the wrong concept. You got the wrong definition. Who taught you that it was supposed to be like an affair? Where'd that come from? And you're liking to having a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You think He's doing anything behind the closed doors and secret? Doesn't he do things out in the open because it's pure and it's perfect and it's, yeah, I thought so. You see where it goes? That's filth. Back when I was growing up, and I'm done, back when I was growing up, you never hear a a woman curse. Never. Let alone some of the curse words. Nowadays, you can't even watch the news anymore without the stuff coming out. It's just common. But you want me to show you how it's gone? Now you got kids in elementary school and they're being taken to the principal's office because of they're foul language. You say, why? Well, mama does it. Yeah. Well, out of the abundance, out of the abundance, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And if that's coming out of the heart, what does that tell you about the heart of that kid? Father, bless Your Word. Where's the preacher out here? Father, bless Your Word and I pray You'll be with these folks and please reward them, Lord, for coming and I pray if something was said that was off the track or messed up that You'll clean it and delete it out of their mind, off their hard drive. Thank You, Lord, for their interest in You. Thank You for their interest in the Bible. Thank You for giving us something that we can never get to the bottom of and we can never completely master it and know exactly everything there is to know. Thank You for it being renewed every day, day by day. And I pray, Lord, you'll bless this meeting and these folks that have taken their time out to come to be a part of it. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen, amen. Again, and we'll be back.